Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Let's start out by thanking our Patreon subscribers from this past week. They went over to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene, and they've subscribed to our, I think it's over 300 shows. Yeah. It's a lot. It's like hundreds of shows that we have that are only Patreon exclusive, but there's also, if you want to hear this show, the main show, ad-free, or our mini episodes ad-free, that's over at Patreon. Yeah. And it goes right to your podcast feed. It's very easy to do. I have a, I have a few um, Patreon subscriptions now. And I was like, wow, that is easy. <laughs> I feel like I said that before. Because I am so dumb. I'm always shocked when something's easy. Yeah, I know. I'm, I subscribe to a podcast Patreon and I figured it out. Yeah. If we can One do thing it. I did was delete the regular feed one because you, you you'll have both of them in right. your right. listings, but then you just uh, delete that and then you just have the one and it's very convenient. If it's, ad, if it's doubling. If it's ad-free. Yeah. Some people don't do ad-free. That's right. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. So this week we had Tina, Roxanne, Carrie, Yadi, Summer, Sean, Patricia, Christina, Michael, Stephanie, Liam, Renee, Elon, Amy, Bobby, Heather, Kathy, Sydney, Kelsey, Bella, Angela, Donald, Che, Mel, Jen, Cheyenne, Elisa, Trish, Lena, Beth, Liz, and Tara. Thank you very much. Um, I just heard the name Che. Oh my God. Today I saw someone posted like a table read for what's the show called? And just like that. And just like that. And it was Che's setting or script. Sarah Sarah, Sarah Sarah Ramirez, Ramirez, who plays Che. (laughs) I was just like, whoo. (laughs) Sarah tweeted out today a picture of their script for And Just Like That. I got very excited. I got chills. I forgot how much I enjoyed that hate watch. I don't even know if hate watch is the right word. It's like, I don't even hate it. No. It's just... It's a thing. It's, it's just, like I don't li- love it, <laughs> but I do love it in a way. Like it's like you don't want the movies or and just like that to be canon, but they are and we just have to all accept it and it's like okay, we're all on this insane Willy yes. Willy Wonka boat ride together. I think it's the camaraderie that makes it fun. Yeah. And it is just fluff. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the wire or whatever. <laughs> like, because I don't know anybody who who is a fan or was a fan of Sex in the City who's like, yeah, I think and just like that makes sense. It's great. No, I don't know what they're thinking, but I hope they do it for many more years. Me too. I'll watch every season. Um, okay, so where were we? We are back with part two of the making of The Godfather. 
Of course, I'm such a dummy. I just realized this year is the 50th anniversary of the movie's release. I noticed that because I kept seeing the year in 1972. I was like, oh, this is a two-year. I was like, oh, that's probably why the offer came out this year as well. (laughs) It's all coming together for me. Once again, my source for this episode is Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli, a book by Mark Seal. I definitely recommend it because there's a ton of of stuff in it that I don't even really go into just because it's not really uh, crime oriented or stuff like that. It's just more about production. But if you're into all of that production stuff, it's very detailed and interesting. Um, I just skipped over it. You got to skip some stuff. Yeah. Where we left off, we had just finished going through the casting wars between Robert Evans and Francis Ford Coppola. And we're finally moving on to the next battle. And that is location. Now, Francis is adamant that the movie be made in New York. Of course, Al Ruddy is under strict orders to keep this movie cheap, which is crazy when you see the finished product. This is not a cheap movie. He's trying to cut corners, and he's looking at locations like Kansas City, Cleveland, and Cincinnati, saying no one will ever be able to tell. Come on. (laughs) That's just crazy. (laughs) Coppola is like, New York City is a vibe. Like We got to film in New York City. Uh, It's a vibe that cannot be replicated, and Ruddy finally caves in. So Coppola's victory is short-lived, though, because the Italian Civil Rights League that's based in New York is determined to shut this production down. Did we go into this a little bit last week, right? Yes. Okay. So this organization immediately forbids any Italian-American actors in New York to participate in the filming of this movie. They are also um, able to somehow refused permits to film in homes and businesses in Long Island and Little Italy, which is where the movie will end up being shot mostly. That's a big deal for a production company. You need permits to film places, uh, and they can't get any of them. They also threaten to organize strikes, so there will be no drivers or deliveries for the film crew. Another thing that makes a movie impossible. If the Teamsters don't play, you're out. Like right. You're not having a movie. Now, all of this is at the behest of one man, basically, the League's founder, Joe Colombo. So he claims the League is under God's protection, and anyone who goes against it will feel God's wrath. He organizes tens um, protests that have tens of thousands of people show up to these protests. He even has a benefit concert that's headlined by Frank Sinatra that raises over $600,000, And this money he takes and uses solely to stop production of The Godfather. That's like his Godfather stopping production fund. (laughs) Wow. Uh, So he uh, he's seen in the city as as being on his way to becoming one of the most powerful men in New York City, like including the mayor, who I think is like LaGuardia. I don't know. I'm not gonna. Don't even at me. I don't know who the mayor was. Yes. Joe Colombo is? He's like up there. He's He's like as powerful and influential right now as the mayor of New York City. So, um, and his primary mission in life, according to him, is to eliminate all negative stereotypes of Italian Americans in media, especially any mention of the mafia. He wants that out. He wants it out of the dictionary. (laughs) Now... Ironically, Colombo is the boss of one of New York's most powerful crime families, the Profacci family, one of New York's five families. It's it's the Godfather versus the real life Godfather. That's what's happening right now. So these threats against production are coming from the league, but 
basically also from the mob because that's who's running this organization. Now, there's also a little bit of a personal vendetta going on in all of this because two years before the publication of The Godfather, there was a New York Times article written that was very critical of this league, in particular their insistence that Italian-Americans weren't involved in organized crime. This article stated basically that while 99% Uh, of Italian-Americans are good law-abiding citizens. The other 1% most definitely are running organized crime in New York City. Uh, And that writer was Mario Puzzo. He wrote this essay. And so Joe Colombo has been steaming about this essay for many years. In fact, in his bio on this essay in the New York Times, the piece mentions he's writing a book on the mob. So the League had been long waiting to destroy this book and anything that came from it uh, since they read this article about written by Puzzo. Now, much like a legit business, the Italian League was seen as kind of a front, giving these good citizen patina to some of New York's most ruthless, most ruthless criminals. They, ha- they were all at the Italian social clubs. It's like very much like whatever business Tony's a pro- Like, you know what I mean? It's like the front for all of this kind of uh, other stuff. Colombo is just 41 when he becomes the youngest boss in history. He becomes like this is a whole Colombo family war that happens, and he eventually comes out on top somehow. And th- this ascension to the top brings more harassment and scrutiny from the feds towards him and his associates. And that's what really lit this fire under his ass to start the league. Like, he's basically like, you're just coming at us because we're Italian. Like, that's his whole motivation for this civil rights league. But they were legitimately criminals. Now, he kind of stays behind the scenes in this organization. But in 1970, he really steps out of the shadows and becomes the visible frontman after the FBI arrests his 23-year-old son, Joe Colombo Jr. He immediately uses the league to protest the arrest. Any court cases that happen, the league is there in full force protesting this discrimination against Italian-Americans. Now, he claims the FBI are framing Italian-American children. Uh, And it's just like, it's unheard of at the time for a mob boss to put himself in the spotlight like this. Even the FBI are kind of like, what is he doing? It's very unnerving to him that he's kind of doing this. Next up, he has a massive rally at Columbus Circle, right under Christopher Columbus's statue. Silvio would be proud. (laughs) So this... Unity Rally, which is what it was called, was was pretty peaceful. They had Italian power signs. Uh, children are eating ice cream with little Italian flags sticking out of them. Joe gives a speech to the crowd. Um, he enters the stage to as he's a jolly good fellow plays. So he's really living it up as the um, league president. Just once in my life, I would love for people <laughs> to sing that song to me. For he's a jolly good fellow. Which nobody can deny. I always like when it's sung half-heartedly. Oh, God. Well, I don't want that version. (laughs) I want people to be, like, very into it. There was a period in, like, the 40s where you couldn't see a movie without that song playing in it at some time. Yeah, it's like a bunch of drunk guys at a bar. It's very popular. So um, he really had a flair for giving these speeches and like holding these rallies, people loved him. And he insisted, how could I be a mob boss and do all these public things? Cause mob bosses aren't supposed to do this. Like this proves my point. So the son eventually does get off scot-free, but Columbo is emboldened and his next target is Hollywood. 
Let her start pouring into anyone involved in the picture, uh, The Godfather. He does other movies before this and other TV shows. Um, But The Godfather, really, he saves all of his wrath for that. So let her start coming into the production offices at Paramount and Hollywood. They state um, that this level of protest is going to be happening if filming goes forward. It's going to be happening everywhere. It's going to be shutting things down. He gets prominent senators and congressmen to write into Paramount as well, saying they disapprove, like some Italian, like famous Italian people too, he'll get to write in. Um, and others write in suggesting that why don't you do a nice picture on the Pope instead, like a good <laughs> Italian boy. <laughs> um, so Ruddy then gets a call to have lunch with Mickey Cullen. Oh, so Mickey Cullen is he's in Hollywood. He's an old school mob guy, um, cohort of Bugsy Siegel, right? Yes. Um, so he basically his advice is you know, show some respect to these guys and like, it'll help grease the wheels. Just listen to them and act like you're fucking playing the game. Right. So Ruddy reassures him. He's like, just call off the dogs. I'm going to fix this. But that didn't stop the death threats that were coming in. They were starting to get death threats now. So even Ruddy's secretary is threatened. Someone calls her and said, they're going to kidnap her son from school that day. And she has to rush home and, and obviously nothing happened, but it was really scary. Um, Ruddy is war- warned um, that he is being followed by the LAPD. Uh, his assistant, Betty, and other people who work with him start switching up cars that they take out of the Paramount lot to kind of create diversions. One night, she takes his car, uh, and that night when she's in her bed, she hears gunshots. The next day, she wakes up to find all the car windows have been shot out, and a note is left saying they didn't want the movie made. Oh, Don't make the shit. movie. Now, Ruddy is undeterred, um, but then the league strikes a major blow. All 62 locations that they had secured for filming in New York have been dropped. So they lost 62 locations in one day. This is a major uh, f- fucking deal in movie making. This takes a lot of work to like get together. People are scouting locations. It's just frustrating. So Paramount's office in New York actually start also getting death threats and things. They are evacuated twice due to bomb threats. And Ruddy takes to wearing a disguise. Someone described it as like the, the Groucho Marx glass thing. <laughs> like that's literally what he starts wearing around. And someone even threatens Robert Evans, who he's like having lunch at the um, Plaza Hotel with his wife, Allie McGraw, and their newborn. And he gets a call while he's there. And someone's like, you wouldn't want to see these beautiful people. Anything happened to these beautiful faces, would you? Uh, and the guy says, he, he says to the caller, take it up with Ruddy. That's Robert Evans. <laughs> it's like, why are you bothering me? It's his production. And the guy says, when you want to kill the snake, you go for the head. <laughs> so didn't work with him. Uh, So uh, Anthony Colombo, this is another son of Joe, he says his dad didn't need to resort to threats to stop the movie. They had other ways to stop production. And soon after they lost all the permits, the Teamsters also threatened to finally um, halt all transportation involving the movie. Now, Robert, I'm sorry, Ruddy and Evans knew they had to do something. So they are like, we need to set up a a meeting with Colombo and get him to back down. They turn to agent Eddie Goldstein. That was their solution. They're like, oh, let's get an agent. <laughs> an agent can take care of this. So he manages to, to have a meeting, arranges a meeting with the help of James Kahn, who had some connections yeah. from back in the day. 
James Conn has a lot of connections throughout this book. He's like, oh, I can help you out with that. Uh, he's kind of, it kind of reminded me of like the Murder Inc. guys. Or like, remember Shelley Winters went to school with them too? Like, yeah. I think some of these guys just grew up with them. So Goldstein shows up in an Italian social club. He ends up charming the gangsters with stories. They all wanted to know about Marlon Brando. They're like, what's he like? It's like a typical thing when, when most people meet someone from Hollywood, they have these questions, right? So the agent doesn't even know Brando, but he bullshits and gives them tons of stories that like leave them just riveted. Uh, they wanted to know more and more. And this guy, I mean, it was smart putting an agent in because no one bullshits better than an agent. Now, Com- Columbo finally agrees to meet with Ruddy and he's like, let's work out a solution. But there was a pre-meeting <laughs> that Ruddy had to go to with Anthony Columbo. During this meeting, Ruddy agreed to delete the word mafia, Cosa Notra, and all Italian words from the script. <laughs> he promised he'd allow the league to review the script and change things they felt were anti-Italian, as well as donate the proceeds from the New York premiere to the league's hospital fund. Once he agreed to this, he was finally allowed to meet with Joe Colombo. Now, Joe sets up the meeting at the Park Sheridan Hotel. Uh, This is the site of one of the most infamous mob killings in history, the assassination of Albert Anastasia, who was killed um, on the orders of Carlo Gambino and Vito Genovese. So this is like a kind of a sinister place for them to meet. Wait, is this the guy who was eating spaghetti? Albert Anastasia? Did you talk about him Yes, in Bugsy Siegel. (laughs) Maybe. Wasn't he... Who was no? It wasn't him. Somebody was somebody though. Look, he might have been eating spaghetti. We don't. He was at a cafe, and Bugsy's guys rolled up in the car and shot out the window. I think this is more New York. It was guys. New York. It was New York. Yes. Oh, Before I remember. Bugsy went to I remember. L.A. That's yeah, that's at a restaurant, though. I think. Yes, that was at so a. So this restaurant. is at a hotel. So maybe we different. Did, we did talk about this murder, though, at the hotel. The name sounded familiar. Uh, there's a lot of names in this where I'm like, I recognize that, but I can't remember. And it's not just like, oh, it's Italian. Like no. it's like very familiar to me. But we I talked remember. about Anastasia. Well, yeah, he's a big guy. Like yeah. So, uh, Ruddy walks into the room to find 600 league members angrily yelling at him. So he walked into basically. Um, a town hall where they're like, we're going to yell at you. Like he kind of got set up, but he held his own at the podium saying the film had, you know, it's not just, you know, bad Italians. We have a corrupt Irish cop. We have a corrupt Jewish movie producer. Like it's an, (laughs) like basically like we got them all. They all suck. If anything, the Corleones are the heroes of the movies. They're like the ones you're rooting for. Uh, according to him. So he offers Columbo a chance to read the script for him, saying no one outside of production has read this script. It doesn't happen. So this is like a special favor I'm doing for you. Uh, Joe Columbo watches him plead his case with the audience, and he watches the audience reaction. And the audience very quickly gets on his side. They start asking him uh, who's going to play the bit parts. Joe Colombo's like, what about a good kid from Bensonhurst, meaning himself? And Reddy quickly realizes that Joe is just like almost everyone else. They want a part in the movie. (laughs) Like that's all they really want is to be connected to the movie production. He nods as Colombo makes suggestions and the crowd's jeers turn to cheers. The next day, Colombo arrives to read the script with... um, his friend, someone Vitali, I, I can't read the name I wrote, and George Butterass to check <laughs> We know him from last episode. Columbo put on his glasses, opens up the script, and immediately is irritated, asking, What's fade in? Uh- <laughs> 
Uh, he tells Butterass to read it. And Butterass is like, why do I got to read it? And Columbo is like, we trust this guy, right? We don't got to read the script. He's telling us he took the words out. Like, we believe him. So uh, he's like, you removed the word mafia, right? And, and Al is like, it's literally only used one time in the script. So he's like, yeah, we removed it. Like, it wasn't even a big deal, this yeah. concession. Uh, so they're like, okay. That's great. We don't have to read the script and they leave. So they basically just don't want to read. Uh, <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Two days later, Columbo invites Ruddy to a press conference announcing the league. Uh, we're now supporting the movie. So what Ruddy didn't know was at this huge press conference, um, there was like some reporters who were definitely not on board with the making of this movie. Like, they still wanted to um, go after it. So they they really went after Paramount for kowtowing to mob demand, saying, what is this freedom? You know, what happened to freedom of speech? You're listening to the mob. Like, you're in bed with the mob. And Charles Bloodhorn, who owns Paramount and is, like, the um, industrialist who owns all of these business, he freaks out. He tries to distance Paramount from the scandal. And he actually fires Al Ruddy briefly because Colombo and the League, again, organized the unions and the Italian-American community to get Ruddy reinstated. So they really have a lot of control uh, over this production. Now, production finally begins, and the kerfuffle in the press just kind of dies down. One of the biggest gets was um, through Gianni Russo. Uh, we talked about him last episode. He plays Carlo. Uh, he helps them land the Staten Island house that will become the home of Vito Corleone. This is a really massive uh, mansion. I don't know. It's very fancy. <laughs> it's a big house and a huge yard because they're filming this huge outdoor wedding scene. So they need the space. So so begins the period of pre-production where they're figuring out more locations, finalizing the script, working on special effects, including figuring out the infamous horse head scene and making the blood look really realistic, which was Coppola was like very finicky about. Uh, and they work on the cinematography as well. It's just very controversial cho- um, choice because it's going to be very dark in certain scenes, and that's just not done at this point in time in a lot of American movies. Um, so he's almost immediately running behind schedule. But in March of 1971, the actors are finally assembled in New York, and filming is to begin shortly. So we'll take a break here. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. 
If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash H-C-S. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. So Coppola has his first rehearsal at Patsy's Restaurant in New York City. We all know Patsy's. It's a famous Italian restaurant that has customers like Sinatra, Dean Martin, as well as every gangster in town. The bathrooms at Patsy even inspired um, the commode where Michael hides the gun in the famous assassination scene. They actually wanted to shoot that at Patsy's, but they were like, no, (laughs) we don't need to be looked at like a scene of a mob murder. That's the last thing they wanted. Gianni Russo is first to arrive. He's wearing a Brioni suit. Several mobsters at the bar recognize him, including Anthony Fat, Anthony Fat, Tony Salerno, and Angelo Cheesecake Ruggiero. Ruggiero. (laughs) I would love to have the nickname Cheesecake. I was like, Fat Tony needs to stop hanging out with Cheesecake. Jesus, (laughs) Desi. That's his problem. I know Cheesecake is a good one. So they're stunned to find out he's got a big role in The Godfather. He goes back to the private room to hang with the fake gangsters. Like he's living large. He's got ins on both sides. Brando arrives wearing a black velvet jacket over an orange cashmere turtleneck. (laughs) Just thought that was important. It is. See the scene. Uh, And this, this is like, this rehearsal is really more like a vibe check. Like, Let's see how we gel as a family. Let's act like how we would act if we're really this big Italian family. And Brando really takes on the role of patriarch and group leader. He cracks open the wine and gets the party rolling. And everyone basically starts acting in character during this dinner. Like it just sort of evolves naturally. Coppola is watching in awe as the family he put together comes to life before his eyes. Now, Brando has been working on the character and the makeup for months. When he arrives on set, everyone is astonished to see him because he is 47 years old. The book points out that he's still hunky, like he has abs, like his body is still what we saw 
you know, what we know from his like hot days. Wait, Brando, when he comes into set, he's still hunky. No, he, at that time period, the makeup and padding are what makes him look old. Like he's still hot. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah he's he, still hot. Brando, the actor, is still hot. But when he comes to set, he looks like the Godfather. Right. Like it's compl- I'm just saying that he wasn't like, because he does get more heavy as he ages. This was not, ha- he was not heavy yet. This is all padding that they did for the Godfather. Okay. So it's striking. And also he, it is a common myth that he, he did the performance with the cotton balls or whatever in his mouth. That was just for like um, the early like test. Right. He does get like a prosthetic thing made that creates that uh, similar effect. And he basically remains in character always on set. An interesting tidbit that I, I found really interesting was he wore earplugs to keep out the extraneous noise on set, as well as to make him listen more carefully to the other actors he was working with. So he had like earplugs in. Do you wear those? I do every night. So you can still hear stuff, right? Uh, and uh, I guess it I depends. Can, I can hear my alarm go off. I mean, is, it might depend what kind you get. I can't hear. I mean, like it blocks out snoring and stuff and yeah. it blocks out whatever noises, but I would have a very hard time hearing somebody talk with those in. Yeah, I thought that was uh, weird. So he knew this was his second chance basically and he is going to reach a level of glory with this role he never could have even imagined. But for all the intensity Brando brings to the set, he's also famous for his pranks. He's a real cut-up, which I (laughs) did not know. (laughs) So much so that, like, he's so deeply revered by the rest of the cast. I mean, you can imagine, like, Robert Duvall, James Caan, like, they're all looking up Al Pacino. Like, Brando is, like, it, right, for that generation of actors. One time while driving home, James Caan and Robert Duvall are in a car together. They had previously worked together on a movie, so they knew each other well. They pull up alongside Brandon in his car. Brando. I'm sorry, Brando. Brandon. Marlon Brandon. <laughs> Marlon Brandon. And Duvall convinces James Caan to moon Brando. Caan rolls down the window, pulls down his pants completely, sticks his whole ass out the window. Like <gasps> Even his balls are like showing through <laughs> Like, that's how intense this moon is. And Brando is, like, dying laughing. He's laughing so hard and he's in tears. Yeah. And obviously the other men, too. Because it's, like, one of those things where, like, this might be great or we might completely humiliate ourselves. Yeah. So then it began on set that everyone wanted to become the moon champion. So it became this thing that everyone was doing on set. Brando won by a landslide. After he dropped his trow, com, dropped trow completely in front of the entire cast crew, hundreds of extra extras during the massive wedding scene, <laughs> he just like bare bottomed it as the Godfather. I wish I had video of that. Now Al Pacino, he kind of keeps to himself because he's very method, and he's like the outcast or the black sheep of the family, or the white sheep, whatever, the opposite of the good one in the family. Uh, so no one is in more misery though than Francis Ford Coppola. Like he's really suffering. He's not sleeping. He's very confident on the outside, but underneath he's completely terrified. He would later say that this shoot was even more difficult and traumatizing for him than the infamously difficult shoot filming Apocalypse Now years later. Uh, he said the difference was on Apocalypse Now, he had a lot of power. He had just won a lot of Oscars. Um, whereas on this one, he was very much um, watched over everything he did 
was second guest. And Robert Evans in particular, like watched over him like a hawk. So it was a very stressful shoot for him. He was even warned to be careful what he said on set because Evans had a spy. Oh. Like coming back to him with things. So one of the first things to be shot was a complicated scene. Uh, This is the famous scene in which Michael shoots the corrupt cop McCloskey, played by veteran actor Sterling Hayden, who is old school Hollywood. This is a very, this is a conflict I always find very amusing. These old school Hollywood people who are like, what is this? We just do it. We do our jobs. We don't do this method acting nonsense like what Al Pacino is doing. Uh, the scenes are taking a long time. He's complaining. He's like, if I have to eat more spaghetti, I'm going to explode. Because during this scene, he's in a restaurant eating a spaghetti dinner. So he has to keep doing it because they're doing take after take after take. When Al finally asks for his motivation on like literally the hundredth take or whatever, Coppola says to him, your motivation is you've been working 16 hours. The sun is coming up and everyone wants to get the hell out of here. <laughs> so... They eventually get a a good take, obviously. Al actually injures himself leaping on the getaway car that ends the scene. And that method acting did not pay off for him. He is hospitalized with a bad sprained ankle. Like he's on crutches with pain medication. So it's a very bad sprain. And his whole schedule has, they have to work around his injury because he can't film. Coppola is, like I said, at the point of exhaustion already or over exhaustion and things are about to get more difficult. He's done his best at this point to not let the mob in. Puzo warned him that the mob are like vampires. You don't let them in. <laughs> Once you invite them in, it's no longer your house. It's theirs. So you just, you never let a vampire in. You don't want to let the mob in. And the mob was unable to come in through the front door. So they start going in through the back door by buttering up the actors. The first one that lets them in is Marlon Brando. He gets word that Russ Buffalino uh, wants to meet him. Now, we mentioned Buffalino. He is the one who got Al Martino the role of Johnny Fontaine in last episode. And I also realized that that is the character Joe Pesci plays in The Irishman that came out a few years ago. Oh. I was like, I knew I knew that name. But yeah, that's where it was from. Did you see that movie? No. Okay. It's like obviously a major part. It's Joe Pesci. Um, So yeah, that's the same guy. Marlon agrees and Buffalino enters his trailer. trailer. He says, hi, Marlo. You're a great actor. (laughs) So he also messes up Marlon's name. Uh, He then said um, he heard that Brando liked calamari. And Brando's a little creeped out by this because every day for lunch, he ordered spicy calamari from Vincent's restaurant. Every in Little day? I- Yeah, in Little Italy. <laughs> so it's like the mob knew his order. Like, <laughs> so they're kind of paying attention to what's going on. By the time Buffalino leaves his trailer, um, oh no, sorry, Marlon leaves his trailer. They're in Little Italy. So he is filming his attempted assassination scene. It takes place on Mott Street. There's tons of like, crowds gathering around obviously watching a movie film and in those crowds there's lots of gangsters now they're all like just like looking they want to be in the scene they want to get picked up on camera uh, and they start critiquing his performance marlon <laughs> they're like a man of that stature would never wear a hat like that yeah uh they said the hitmen held their guns like they were holding bouquet of flowers 
Uh, and nearby this Mott Street location, Carlo Gambino is at a cafe. He's an inspiration for the character of Vito. He himself strolls by to watch the filming one day. And Columbo was sticking his fingers in where... I'm sorry, Columbo was also sticking his fingers in wherever he could. Um, every no that the production encounter would turn to a yes very quickly because Columbo was always manipulating things behind the scenes. Even when a crew member had a heart attack on set... Joe sent him a gift basket in the hospital, and he also made sure his food was up to his dietary standards, and he got the hospital to extend the visiting hours for the crew member. So he was just like, you know, oiling up all the cogs and wheels to make everything smooth for everybody. Um, So not only were these mob guys constantly swirling around set, Coppola eventually cast one in a key part, Luca Brazzi who, by the way, for a very long time, I thought was Lou Cabrazzi. <laughs> took me forever <laughs> to realize that his name was Lou Cabrazzi. Um, okay, Lou Cabrazzi is the Don's enforcer, and a- according to the book, he has to be scary as fuck and huge. He was the last key part cast, and it was an impossible uh, casting. They-, they could not find a guy to fit this role. Enter 47-year-old Lenny Montana, six foot six, 320-pound guy. He is a former professional wrestler. And after he finishes his wrestling career, he is a collector for the Columbos. He's the guy who goes to get, to get the money you owe when you're late on your yeah. fucking gambling debts. And you, you need to get the interest, too. He's that guy. So after being involved in a botched attempted murder... He faces serious jail time. Eventually, he gets off with a suspended sentence and probation. And in the spring of 1971, he notices in the streets uh, where he lives in Brooklyn, they're blocked off, and they're shooting the Godfather. Now, he just goes and stands up, but obviously, this is a very noticeable guy. He catches the eye of Al Ruddy, uh, and, I mean, how could he not? A former opponent of his in the wrestling ring described him as looking like he could eat raw meat. No. And he's like, that's what he looked at me like, too. Like, humans. He'd eat a human. So Ruddy calls him over, and he's like, hey, have you ever done any acting? And Lenny's like, well, if you count wrestling, like, yeah, (laughs) that's acting. Ruddy brings him to Coppola's trailer, opens the door, and Coppola's immediate reaction is, that's Luca Brazzi. Like, he just sees him. He's immediately hired without an audition, a screen test, nothing. I mean, if you look at this guy... He has to play him. So uh, Lenny's first day on set, he's acting opposite Marlon Brando. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's like all of his scenes are basically with Brando, too, which is crazy. Needless to say, he's not a professional actor. He's very stiff. His bit was to say to Don Corleone this speech about, I'm honored and grateful that you've invited me on the day of your daughter's wedding, like this type of deal. He keeps fucking it up. Francis has him practice outside to kind of loosen him up. And they actually take this fumbling and use it as part of his character. Luca is not the brightest guy. So it would make sense that he is outside practicing his speech for The Godfather too. And if he stumbles during his speech with The Godfather, that also makes sense. So they kind of just use all of that. This is also a very famous scene um, at the wedding when we meet Kay and Michael. She notices Luca standing alone practicing his speech, and Michael explains who he is, and Kay gets her first glimpse into this family she'll soon be joining. He explains how his father helped Johnny Fontaine get out of a contract with a band leader. 
uh, saying his father made him an offer he couldn't refuse. When Kay asked what that was, he says, Luca Brazzi held a gun to his head and my father assured him that either his brain or his signature would be on the contract. So Lenny is very popular on set. He has a lot of stories from his various careers, uh, including his enforcer days. He talks about he, his one of his specialties was committing arson. And he said the way he did it was that he would dip a tampon into kerosene, tie the tampon to the tail of a rat, then <gasps> light it on fire so the rat would run through the building, oh, no. setting it all on fire. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? horrible. When Al's secretary broke her watch, he heard about it and replaced it with an antique diamond watch, telling her to never wear it in Florida. (laughs) Why? (laughs) I guess he stole it from someone Uh in Florida. Um, In his death scene, that's where we get the line, Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. Uh, His wrestling really is instrumental in this brutal death scene because... I mean, he's filming this death scene for 19 hours. It's of him being garroted. Yeah. Uh, and it's really hard to watch because he fights and it's very fucking real. Um, but yeah. Now, perhaps the weirdest story involving um, Lenny Montana is after he's cast as Luca Brazza, he's hired by a mobster to beat up Al Ruddy just to put Al in his place. Uh, he actually shows up Ruddy's doorstep and Ruddy opens the door innocently and he like... He's there with a guy named Tommy Fingers. And Ruddy's like, hey, what's up, Lenny? And he literally just beats him, like <sighs> punches him in the face, knocks, almost tears the door off the um, door jam, and just like walks away, and that's it. And Puzo's like, yeah, I told you, once you're in, you never get out. <laughs> so I don't know. No one ever, They ne- I looked in multiple places. No one knows what happened, who he offended, and he showed up to work the next day on the set. He's like, okay, I got that taken care of. Now we act. Oh, like, wow. Yeah. So Francis, by this point, is weeks, almost months behind schedule. Um, the mob is the least of his problems at this point. The executives want to see dailies, and they're not happy. They actually were like, do we have our sunglasses on during the opening scenes because they're so dark? And they couldn't understand Brando's mumbling. The worst thing at some point... Uh, for them was at some point in the scene, and this, in my opinion, is the best thing, a stray cat wanders onto set, and Brando, in character, bends down, picks it up, puts it on his lap, and starts petting it, but the purring is so loud, it's picked up on Brando's mic, and they can't hear him. So it almost ruins the scene, but luckily they're able to fix it, because I love this moment, it's a great moment, and was completely unplanned. A cat, of course, coming in. <laughs> I love like, that story. Also, it's like, it's just a great, it's a great scene because it's like, this guy is so intimidating and he's like, oh, a little pussy cat. Like, I just love it. We'll post a picture. That cat's a great actor. Excellent. He's just like, hey, what's going on in here? (laughs) There's something about a cat entering like a sports field. Right. Well, sometimes they're more scared there, but when they're just real casual, like, hey, Hey. what are we all doing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So they hate everything that Francis has done, basically. He is lost. Um, Almost everyone working on the film assumes he will be fired any day. And even people he thought were his allies are turning on him, in particular his editor, Aram Avakian. There is a coup basically happening trying to take Francis down. So he did the unthinkable. He fires all six of the people involved, including his editor and his first assistant director and other higher-ups who are working directly under him. The coup is quelled. 
and production goes on better yet for Francis, the new dailies are becoming more and more well-received and they're not just good, they're great. Uh, so it's it's like almost genius. And even Evans, who hates Coppola, can't deny what he's saying is incredible. So um, yeah, Coppola says that from that moment on, he figured, hey, they thought we're stuck with that loser. Like we got to keep going on this film. Um, and they start doing the Hollywood thing of full force building him up at that point. So next up was the scene where Clemenza offs the rat, um, offs the rat. Uh, he is played by Richard Castellano, who, according to his wife, had a secret. He was someone who had gotten out of the biz, which is really hard to do. And once you get out of the mob biz, you are supposedly never allowed to uh, have any association with it again. So she's like, this movie was very risky to him. Uh, she said he was the nephew of mob boss Paul Castellano. Um, so this is the scene where he kills this rat after having uh, his wife. He when, Before he leaves, his wife's like, don't forget the cannoli. He has. They stop at the bakery. They take this guy to a, um, in, like a location that no one's around. Um, they shoot him. And then he says the famous line, leave the gun and take the cannoli. That's an improvised improvised line the script only said leave the gun and he's like oh i remembered my wife wanted that cannoli so he added it uh coppola obviously leaves it in it's one of the most famous lines in the film another famous improv is james Kahn mocking his brother michael saying um he would kill the men responsible for his father's assassination um during this he he says the term bada bing he does yes so he that's like the first time that phrase is like recorded on that, film. That's what I'm saying. Like no one had said that before. No. I mean, according to this, Coppola is like he should get royalties on that saying because it's become a mantra to mobsters everywhere. Wait, so he improv bada bing. James, <laughs> James Kahn made that up? Yes. That's, that's what, that what this book from? says. Yes. Bada bi- the bada bing. The bada bing. Like, like the strip club. And just, so he's like, what are you going to do? Wow. They're going to come over here and then bada bing, you're going to kill them. <laughs> like he just, it wasn't in the script. And he's like, it's possible I heard it around growing up or something. Yeah. But like, that's the first time supposedly it's been on film at, at the very in, least. in like pop culture that we heard. Yes. Uh, I just thought that was funny because I was like, I didn't even think of that being invented. It just seemed like it was almost everywhere. One of the greatest sayings. It's perfect. It's perfect. And it feels good to say. It does. So, (laughs) (laughs) bada bing. Bada bing. After a tumultuous uh, 66 days of filming, the end is near. Well, at least the filming part. On June 28th, 1971, while Francis is filming a love scene between Kay and Michael, this is a scene that will never go into the movie, another unity rally uh, for Italian-American Civil Rights League is being held at Columbus Circle. This time we got Sammy Davis Jr. and Frankie Valli performing. The star attraction, Joe Colombo. Now, there's initially plans for Al Ruddy to come and stand side by side with him, um, once again showing the unity between the production of The Godfather and the Italian, uh, I'm sorry, the, Ameri- the Italian-American Civil Rights League. Um, so The Godfather, I'm sorry, but the night before, Ruddy gets a call from an FBI agent who doesn't give him his name, warning him under uh, no circumstances should he be standing next to Colombo at the rally and hangs up. What the fuck? Gianni Russo, who's also supposed to attend the rally, gets a call the night before from Tommy, Bo- Tommy Bellotti. 
a mobster who would one day be assassinated alongside Paul Castellano outside of Sparks Steakhouse in 1985. He asked Gianni if he's going to the rally. Gianni said he'd be on the dais. uh, And Tommy said, I don't care if you're supposed to sit on Joe Colombo's lap. You're not going. Gianni immediately calls Colombo's attorney saying he had to bail since he got a stomach virus. And the only place he'd be sitting was on the toilet. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And like, you know, you know, that's a, that's a lie everyone believes. Cause Uh like no one would admit to diarrhea unless they really have it. (laughs) The person on the other end is always like, oh, please stay away. Yes, it's Stay a perfect home. it's a perfect lie. <laughs> it is. So the next day the rally is packed. Um Joe has seen immense success in the 7 years that he has started this league. Um he has really taken down a lot of unfair portrayals of Italian Americans out of media, including one from an Alka-Seltzer commercial commercial <laughs> where an Italian says one of my favorite sayings, "Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball." He stopped that. Really? Yeah. I didn't even know that was offensive <laughs> to him. Yes. But I didn't, honestly, I was like, I don't even know where that was from until right now that it was in an Alka-Seltzer. Like, I've just heard that minute. phrase my whole life. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm learning so many things. That originated from an Alka-Seltzer commercial? Yes. That's a spicy meatball. Mamma Mia. That's a spicy meatball. And then he got upset Tommy. You, that's that's the Alka Seltzer you pour it in the pop, water pop, and it starts fizz, bub- fizz. starts bubbling. Yes, right? I know. I know. Have Alka you ever Seltzer. had it? No, I'm not eighty. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had it either. I don't even know what it's for. Like, is that what Tums does now? Like, is Tums replaced Alka Seltzer? Like, yeah, it's like you know, uh, acid reflux. It's like a tummy. pH. It's like um, IBS. Yeah. I don't know. I, look, I'm blessed. I don't have I don't have uh, gastrointestinal issues. Oh God! Because I like spicy meatballs. I eat and a everything. lot of spicy Me food too. and a lot of dairy. My fear is I've heard that can change as you age. Like you can start having things. I'm like I don't want new things. I, I have enough things. I have enough problems. Um. So yeah. What? I can't believe that. Mama Mia, that's a spicy meatball. You Joe s- Colombo. You said that. <laughs> you said that in our Bugsy Siegel episode. You said that's a spicy. It's meatball. a. It's a great saying. That's like that is an iconic ad. <laughs> I need to look that. Wait, so the ad doesn't exist, or the ad did exist? I don't think it exists anymore. And I, I need to look it up. I think I need to. See I if don't it's even still know around. how. I I think it just became pop culture, like a pop culture touch point at some point. Um, anyway, at eleven forty-five a.m., as Colombo approaches the stage to do his speech, he is approached by a man with a camera and press credentials who suddenly crouches down, pulls out a gun, and shoots Colombo three times in the head. <gasps> Absolute mayhem broke broke out in the offer. Al Ruddy is there watching this off the sidelines, but it doesn't say it in the book. So I'm assuming it was just invented for the show. Um, His bodyguards tackle the gunman. It is 25-year-old Jerome Johnson of New Jersey. And within minutes, he's also shot and dead. So he will be unable to reveal who sent him to kill Columbo. Uh, Ironically, Coppola had been struggling with the fact that mobsters don't go around killing each other anymore. So will his movie be relevant? And once again, life is sort of propping up the Godfather because it's just happening right close to where he's filming that scene with uh, Al Pacino and um, Diane Keaton. 
So just like Vito uh, Colombo is rushed to the hospital, he is in a coma with police protection standing outside his door. He would remain in a coma for seven years, eventually dying of cardiac arrest in 1978. Wow. Um, so the suspect in That's the, wild. I, I didn't know this story. Yeah. This... This his chapter, like I did look at his Wikipedia because there's so much Italian like history. Yeah. And I was trying to like clarify some things. Um, but yeah, there was just so many wars at this time from like the fifties, sixties, amongst all these five families in New York. Yeah. Um, just constant stuff happening. So um now the suspect the people the suspects the people thought were the suspects, sorry. The most likely suspects in this assassination were the Gallo brothers, Joey and Albert. Now, (laughs) there's like this, that's, this is where I started looking up the history. And this, there's this, all this history between these two guys about when he took over um, that family, the Profaci family. These guys, Joey and Albert, were in jail for something else. So I think they had some beef with Colombo about how uh, things progressed while they were in jail. they also theorized that Carlo Gambino organized the shooting because he was uh, upset with um, Colombo grandstanding all the time with the Italian League and they wanted to keep things more private. He also, there's also a rumor that he got into a fight with Carlo Gambino about this and he spat in, Car- in Gambino's face. <gasps> so you know you're dead if you do that. Yeah. So there's lots of um, theories on things. Um, no one truly knows what happened, but vengeance would come Joey Gallo's, Gallo's way about a year later. He gets clipped outside of Umberto's clam house. Oh, no. I was thinking, like, that must suck. You have a really good meal. Yeah. You walk outside. You get gunned down. I, Although maybe sometimes I, I feel like getting gunned down. <laughs> Honestly, I I think it's worse if you're waiting outside the restaurant to be seated before you've eaten and you get, you don't even even get the meal. That's true. You die hungry. That's true. But you know that feeling when you leave, you're like, yes. Oh, that was so good. You're like in this sort of euphoric state. Please. That's literally every week (laughs) when we go to dinner. Um, So there's definitely some carnage happening on the streets of New York at this time and the mob wars. Now, luckily, the New York scene, uh, the the scenes they're filming in New York are wrapping up around this time. Uh, So ironically, just as they're finishing, uh, the scenes they're filming as this is happening is the chilling sequence of Michael killing all of his rivals and enemies at the end of the movie. So it's kind of like art imitating life or vice versa. After a brief shoot in Italy, filming officially wraps, and now we are on to post-production. Coppola hands in his edit, which runs almost three hours. He is told to cut 40 minutes off of it. He does it, and somehow people are like, this seems longer, somehow. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, because it's not good. Um, He's ordered to fix it again. He claims he just added back what he took out, and they're like, oh, we love it, which I believe, honestly. Um, So... According to Evans, they're working tirelessly together on this. But one time, Coppola is filling out answers to a questionnaire he got for an interview. When they asked what Evans contributed to the editing, he left it blank. So people are like, nothing. Now, Evans is also sort of incapacitated during this time period. He has some severe back issues uh, that has, is causing him a lot of pain. Not only that, he has told his wife to take a movie called The Getaway with Steve McQueen, and they start fucking on the set <gasps> of the movie. So his hot... Why would you tell your wife to take a movie with Steve McQueen? <laughs> I wouldn't... But that's just dumb. 
He's like one of the hottest men ever. And you're going to be like, yeah, honey, my hot young wife. Go for it. Go off with Steve McQueen while I'm ignoring you again. She eventually leaves uh, Robert Evans for Steve McQueen. The editing process... um, also, the rumors start flying about what's going on with this editing process. People are like, oh, this is a bomb, especially when the release date is pushed back from Christmas to March. The last squabble was over the music. Evans wanted Henry Mancini, and Coppola wanted Nino Rota. Evans hated what Rota did, and Coppola actually threatens to take his name off the picture if the music is removed, and he gets his way. Now, obviously, the music is a huge part of the movie's success. The score is a classic, like... It's crazy that he would want to put Henry Mancini. Henry Mancini is obviously a great film composer, but right. it's just not right. No. Um, so now they have a battle with the ratings board. Obviously, they want to get an R rating and not an X. There's no sex in the movie, but uh, it is very... I mean, there is one sex because James Conn does bang a bridesmaid at the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very funny scene. But it's not really nudity. It's just uh, kind of a vulgar fuck in the closet. Um and she's wearing her ugly bridesmaid dress. So the movie is very violent, though. And three, there's some scenes in particular that are problematic for the board. Luca Brazzi's strangling, Sonny's beating of Carlo, the horse head. Um, there is a little brief nudity. And also the Sonny Tollbooth scene is very violent. But it's in line with like uh, Bonnie and Clyde, that kind of uh, scene. They eventually uh, get it to work and get the R rating that they are looking for. Al Ruddy finally sits down to watch the final cut. Um, the original opening I mentioned last episode is I believe in America. America has made my fortune. Someone has changed the opening line. So Al doesn't know this. He's sitting there and the opening line starts and it says, I believe in the mafia. The mafia (gasps) has made my fortune, but it's a prank. He's like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And everyone was like laughing at their successful prank. Now, obviously, when the movie is finally released, it is an absolute triumph, box box office-wise and critical uh, acclaim-wise. The audience literally gasps when they first get their their first glimpse of Brando and character. And when it ends, um, I mean, the ending scene of this movie is just devastating, uh, quiet scene. And the audience sits in stunned silence for minutes after watching it, like, and and Al, Al Reddy is like, is this good? Like, yeah. he's like, why aren't they doing anything? But it's like, that's how emotionally devastating that final scene is. It's like, you don't even know how to react. Um, Ruddy even has a screening for the mobsters. He doesn't want them to go to the, 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 like, the more professional industry ones. So he throws them a private screening. And he's like, how did it go? And the projection is like, he's like, that's the first screening I ever got tipped a $1,000. <laughs> um Francis, meanwhile, is holed up in a hotel writing his next screenplay. He doesn't want to hear anything. He's sure it's going to be a disaster. Like, he doesn't have any faith. But his wife eventually calls him, letting him know it's not only a success, it's a phenomenon. Uh, It is nominated for 10 Academy Awards at the 1973 Oscars, including Best Picture, Director, Actor, three supporting actor noms, um, screenplay, it's like editing, costuming, etc. And they're up against Cap- Cabaret. They do win um, Best Screenplay, Best Actor, and Cabaret basically sweeps yeah. everything else that year. When Brando wins his Oscar, he is not there. He sends up a woman named Sasheen Littlefeather. She's a Native American activist. She goes up to accept the award, award on his behalf and gives a statement to shine a light on the suffering of Native Americans. And she gets booed from the audience. It's 
Uh, Horrible. Yeah. So John Wayne is apparently like being held back backstage. Like he's going to go on stage and drag her off. What a piece of shit. We got to do an episode on him and just drag him to hell. I agree. <laughs> um, other, the rest of the night, several presenters make rude quips about it. Yeah. Um, they mocked her appearance. Uh, I mean, appearance at the awards, not her uh, physical appearance. Um, people like, Clint Eastwood, not surprising, but uh, Raquel Welch as well makes a joke. Shitty. Um, Michael Caine actually went after Brando saying he shouldn't have put her up there like that to face that ridicule, like knowing how shitty people are. Um, And in June of 2022, just a few months ago, the Academy finally apologized to her. Um, The organization's then president, David Rubin, wrote, The abuse you endured because of this statement was unwarranted and unjustified. The emotional burden you have lived through and the cost to your own career in our industry are irreparable. For far too long, the courage you showed has been unacknowledged. For this, we offer our deepest apologies and our sincere admiration. And uh, she said this apology to her was a dream come true. So she said that, quote, we Indians are very patient people. It's only been 50 years. We need to keep our sense of humor about this at all times. It's our method of survival. Obviously, most everyone associated with this movie became a huge star and like massive success in their whatever field they were in. Most of them who survived the first movie, at least, came back for Godfather Part Two just a few years later. And that finally got Coppola his directing award. And it became the first sequel to win the Best Picture Academy Award. So that's my episode. That's a spicy meatball. (gasps) Desi! Desi! You can't say that. Remember when 23andMe said I was 1.2% Italian and then they updated their site and said, just kidding. Yeah, that was weird though. See, that's what you could sue. I was so excited for like five days. Uh, I I think the funniest thing about thing about twenty three and me is that my mom paid like a hundred dollars just to find out she was one hundred percent Ashkenazi Jewish. It's like, yeah, we know. Yeah, there's very few surprises. There's I think my, on twenty three and me. No, <laughs> that's why the Italian was a big deal. The Italian, yeah, because there was no surprises. I'm like, all right, I would absolutely lose my mind if I had one percent Italian. I lost my mind. For I like would be a so week. happy. It's honestly. That's the thing that stops me because I was like, I really need something cool happening or I'm going to be mad. Like, like you want, you want a surprise when you do I don't it. even care if it's like, you know, Norwegian. I don't know. I'll find out. I'm like, it's stupid. It's fucking stupid. But I, I do think it is funny that my mom is like, just, yeah, hey, we know. Yeah. We get it. It's very, I mean, to get a hundred percent. A hundred percent Ashkenazi Jewish. They don't, they don't separate that by country at all or? No. Oh. That's uh, interesting. No. Because they probably could. They probably could like narrow it down I, more. I don't right? know. I yeah. like they literally when when you get Ashkenazi on 23 and me, it just shows Eastern Europe. Right. <laughs> it just yeah. shows Eastern Europe. That's Europe. it. Nowhere else. <laughs> it's like there you go. You happy? <laughs> I mean, I think it's I think it was worth doing it for that funny reveal. It's very fun. <laughs> it was very funny to me. It was very funny to me. Okay, we'll post a picture of Marlon Brando with a cat for sure. Yes. We gotta. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Thank you. Bye. bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.